State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's good, everybody? It is our favorite time of the year here at the Black Effect. We're heading down to Atlanta for the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival. And we're not going alone. Nissan is back as our partner, and they're continuing their Pitch Your Podcast Lounge at the festival, where you'll have the opportunity to pitch your podcast idea live and share it with the Black Effect team. So get those podcast ideas ready. And remember, you can count on Nissan to dial up the thrill in your adventures, no matter where life takes you. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details. Welcome to Checking In with Michelle Williams, a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. Okay, so I get excited when I get to talk to somebody that I actually talk to. (laughs) And Mark Lamont Hill is one of them. We know him to be just a contributor of everything related to the news. On Twitter, honey, folks call themselves lighting him up and he'll get to lighten folks up right back. He is someone that I learned from because I'm not versed in as it relates to politics, but I make an effort to be intentional to learn because what we don't want We don't want ignorance to be an excuse of why we can't pitch in and why we can't have awareness to things that are going on in our world, even if we feel like it doesn't affect you and your immediate family. There has been so much loss, so much violence, and I'm just excited to talk to Mark today. He's got a brand new book out called Seen and Unseen that he has written with a colleague of his. His name is Todd Brewster. And I'm excited to get underway and talk about it. I'm also gonna slide in the fact that he doesn't like macaroni and cheese. I gotta find a way to slide it in there because his book is so serious. But I'm gonna try to weave in that macaroni and cheese fact that he doesn't like something so freaking delicious. All right, y'all, that's coming up on this new episode of Checking In. Y'all, this week, I'm excited to have somebody that I consider a friend, buddy, whatever you want to call it. We've known each other probably eight years, going on eight years And we've had a blast. We'll send each other's messages every now and then, especially just to check on each other. I'm excited to have an award-winning journalist, host of BET News, as well as a political contributor. He happens to also live in Philly. He has kept it in Philly. He hasn't moved to LA or (laughs) New York. And he is also the owner of the beloved Uncle Bobby's Coffee and Books. Y'all, please welcome my friend Mark Lamont Hill. Hey, what's up? What's up? It's good to see your face. It is so good to see your face. It is 2022, and it's been an interesting couple years, to say the least, 
for yeah. when I say everybody, everybody, particularly for you, you've remained relevant being in the public eye, but you've also had some personal losses in your family and yeah. still found a way to write a book. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the way I deal with loss and grief is to, you know, process, but also do my work. Mm. So for those who don't know, so my, my father died in December of 2020 and then my sister died less than three weeks later. In fact, she died the day of my father's funeral. My father was 91. You know, I give thanks for all the time we had with them and it was rough. My sister, I wasn't expecting to die. Mm. So they both kind of hit me hard, but we in a pandemic. So it was like we couldn't do a proper memorial service. I couldn't really go anywhere. So part of how I processed, in addition to therapy and prayer and those kinds of things, was working and trying to make it out of this mess. Because at the same time that I'm dealing with my personal stuff, the country is on fire. Yes. Everybody's figuring yeah. stuff out. Yeah. Uh, me and you, we lost our parents. That was the same month I lost my dad, December of 2020. So I remember us being able to add that to the list of what we have in common. <laughs> you exactly. know what I mean? And so how have you been? That's just the real question. My podcast is called Checking In, and I like to check in on people. And that's why I love your podcast, because that's the thing that we don't do enough for each other as a society. We don't share enough. We don't we don't support each other enough yeah. uh, emotionally, yeah. you know? And so I was even when 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 you had your loss, I checked in with you and I'm like, I, I mean, I wasn't no pro at it. It had been a couple of weeks, but I was like, this is what's been working for me. This is how I've been yes. dealing with it. And we got to do that for each other. And also, you know, being in this business, sometimes people only check in on you when they want something or when they need something. Or now some people got good. So they do the fake check in. They check in just to say hi. And then a week later, they call and ask you for the thing that they really wanted the week before. It, it drives me crazy. So, you know, when people yeah. really care about you and how you're doing, I, I feel good. But, you know, I'm good. Listen, I promise you, I've been feeling like that and guilty of the like, um, I'm cool with the lady who does my hair. And so we'll text, but I try to follow protocol and go through her assistant or or call the salon. But a part of me, we was just chatting today and a part of me wanted to say, hey, by the way, can you do my hair this week? But I was like, <laughs> no, you're not going to be the one because I know how irritating that is for me. And you are so correct as far as opening up space for people to really say how they're doing. I had a former NFL player on my podcast and I reread a tweet of his and it was a concerning tweet for me because I was like, is this cryptic? Is he okay? And I promise you, he said, I'm not okay. I was mm. shocked that he said it because I really want to know how you're doing. But because we're so used to people saying, oh, you know, I'm okay. I'm cool. They get real high pitched. Right. You know, or for someone like you, you probably just going to be like, you know, I'm good. I'm but good. he was like. I'm not okay. And I was like, we probably also have to brace ourselves for the real answer. Yeah, that's hard. You got to be prepared to actually do, because when somebody say they're not okay, you can't go on about your day. You got to actually stop and check on them, see what they need. Because they'd be like, I'm, I'm not good. You can't be like, all right, well, I was just checking. Listen, <laughs> listen. Well, I know you have been on a promotional trail. I know what that's like. And you've been talking all day and you could actually have virtual Zoom fatigue. So you and a colleague of yours by the name of Todd Brewster, you guys came together to write a book called Seen and Unseen and how it is a exploration of the ways in which visual media has helped and shaped the narrative of race 
in recent yeah. years and things that have happened and how convictions can take place simply because of the cell phone. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so important. I was thinking about, remember when we were growing up and the Rodney King thing happened and it was crazy, right? It was like, yo, they caught him on videotape. He got, you know, the police got caught on videotape and that was different because back then it wasn't no cell phones. Yeah. You know how lucky you had to be to get your behind whooped by the police and somebody videotaped it? I mean, the behind whooping wasn't lucky, but the fact that somebody had that big camcorder with a big VHS tape in it. Yeah. And excuse my ignorance, we all have seen it, but who was taping? It was a random uh, citizen who just happened to be recording something else. And because, again, like you don't just have a camcorder. No, like you said, it's like a boom box. Like, what's that on your shoulder? Yeah. And he was like, you know, you're looking at something and you see something else you ain't supposed to see. And you go, oh, I got to get this. And he just looked and saw it. And then he turned it in to the news folk and to the right people. And suddenly it was like for black people, it was like, see, that's what they be doing. For some people, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. And it was the first time where it was a conversation about race in America because of the tape. But then for me, what was interesting was I just assumed that the cops would go to jail. They get fired. It would be an easy thing. It's on tape. Right. It's on tape. And I remember going to my my favorite uncle, my Uncle Bobby, who I named my bookstore after. I went to Uncle Bobby's house and he was like, Boy, don't think just because it's on tape, that mean that them cops going to get in trouble. They know what they're doing, you know, and I didn't know what he meant when he said they know what they're doing. And when the officers didn't get convicted during that first trial, my little heart was broken. You know, I was a little teen activist, you know, and I was like, we're going to get our justice. You know, we ain't get no justice. And there were a bunch of older black folk like my uncle who was like, they know what they be doing. They convinced the jurors that what they saw with their own eyes wasn't what happened. Mm. They convinced people that Rodney King was the bully, that he was on drugs, he was on PCP. And if they hadn't beat him down, he's going to beat up them police and go through the whole the whole neighborhood. I mean, but this is what happened. And so when you fast forward to Trayvon Martin, who we didn't get to see a video, we got to hear or Mike Brown, who we got to see. We got to see these other cases where somebody got shot, somebody got harmed by police and we got to see it. We started to realize that, wait a minute, these aren't outliers. These are not exceptions. The only difference is now we got the tape to prove it. Yeah. You know, and having a tape to prove it has changed the game. But like we learned with Rodney King and like we learned with Trayvon Martin and all these other people is that even if you have the tape, it's not always enough. I wrote in black and white. I promise you, I said, sometimes I feel like a video still doesn't matter. White cops will still be found not guilty in the majority of the cases that even have video evidence. You know, it's so crazy because for a lot of people, I feel like every generation has to have that moment where they'd be like, oh, wait, this this different than I thought. Right. Like for us, it might have been Rodney King. For other people, it probably was the Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Mike Brown, Eric Garner. We go down a list. Right. Of, the of unfortunate people. list, by the way, a huge list. Right. It's a huge list. And it's crazy. I wasn't even confident about Ahmaud Arbery, you know, when his killers were, were convicted or uh, Derek Chauvin, when he was convicted a few months ago for killing George Floyd. I'm never confident, whether it's Grand Rapids, whether it's Chicago or Philly, LA, I'm never confident anymore. I just I just don't believe it. And the question for me and what we part of what we tried to get at in the book, Seen and Unseen, yes, is why? Why would somebody who sees a video of a person getting attacked by police not support the conviction of the police? 
And the answer is that we, we don't all go into the movie or the magazine or the Bible verse or the conversation, whatever the thing we're interpreting, we don't all bring the same thing to it. Mm. So we don't all get the same thing from it. So if I'm already believing that black people are violent and evil, and I believe police are always right, then even when I see the police trying to wear down Eric Garner by choking him, or I see somebody get shot, I might believe, well, yeah, he's violent. They had to do it. Whereas as a black person, I'm like, they didn't have to hurt that boy like that. And so we go into it with a different interpretation. This is why, again, whether we're debating scripture, whether we're debating literature, there's always debates because people bring different things to it. And all of us don't start, start from the same place. And too often in America, people start from a place of believing that black folk don't deserve justice Mm -hmm. y'all i i love where you were talking about whether it's a debate about a bible verse whether it's a debate y'all let me tell you why i'm such a fan of mark lamont and this is not to deflect because he debates everything (laughs) y'all i know we're talking about seen and unseen and how serious it is but i want to go to this debate y'all he's got this debate about macaroni and cheese y'all and i knew you was going there and I know that maybe that should have been the top of the conversation or the end of the conversation. But y'all, oh, he can bad. debate everything. He can talk about everything. Were you always like that? Because you said you are a teen activist versus what we have now, influencers. <laughs> you were a freaking activist as a teen. Can you take us on your journey, especially to where you are now and to being able to write such pivotal books, riveting books such as Seen and Unseen? I'm glad you asked that. And, and before this is over, I, I'm going to make my macaroni and cheese case because the people out there need to know the truth about macaroni and cheese. But <laughs> as far as the, I'm serious, because y'all See, that's y'all why got, I won't come to Philly and just visit you and hang out with you because I'm a fan. <laughs> but go ahead. I'm, if so, I'm taking you to a soul food spot. You know what I mean? You go to your nasty macaroni and cheese. This is what you I, just I, ain't I, had it right. Do you know that I am the person? My family asked me for my greens, macaroni and cheese. And something else that I think you've debated, banana pudding. Those are three black staples. I love banana pudding and I love collard greens. But mac and cheese, this, this, you know what? I'm just going to say it right now. Get it out the way because I need I need to let the world know who I am. I need to be accepted as I am. Mm -hmm. This is who I am inside. Seen and unseen, (laughs) y'all. That's right. Y'all about to see the unseen right now. The mac and cheese. It's just dry noodles and cheese. It's not special. It's not tasty. It, and look, this is what people do. This is what y'all do. The mac and cheese lobby. All of y'all act like I just ain't had the right you mac and cheese. haven't. Michelle, you, she's a little bit of a troll too. She FaceTimed me on Thanksgiving <laughs> while she was making mac and cheese to show me what proper mac and cheese looked like. And I'm telling you, it looked delicious. Your mac and cheese looked as good as any mac and cheese I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. However, I've been fooled like that before. I've tried it. It just ain't good, y'all. It's like, I don't know what. And I'll tell you something even more controversial. The only mac and cheese that's halfway good is the craft from the box on top of the stove mac. And, that's the only mac and cheese I acknowledge. Oh, my gosh. We've got to upgrade your palate. And I think this is what I want to do at Uncle Bobby's Coffee and Books. Y'all, I promise you, we're going to get back to what we were talking about. I think we need to have a macaroni and cheese festival. And the proceeds like can go to like 
Maybe your taste bud surgery. Okay, <laughs> maybe. May, 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 may but y'all, he almost convinced me just in this conversation that macaroni and cheese ain't good. So take us back to the start oh, yeah. of Sorry, being the point, a right. teen <laughs> activist, the inspiration. What was the pivotal yeah. moment where you were like, this is what I'm going to do? You know, before I was an activist, I was a reader. And that's the reason I opened Uncle Bobby's was because, you know, bookstores changed my life and my Uncle Bobby changed my life. I, w- I learned to read real early. It was like, you know, two or three years old. And I was reading whatever my mom, my mom was a school teacher and she would uh, borrow books from the school. We still ain't returned them yet, but we, we, we would borrow them books. In this and- day and age, they're probably going to come after you. Oh, your yo, past will haunt you. <laughs> exactly. I might have the police at you my door. You got a $150 book fine. Exactly. Okay. Yo, that's how they move too. And, and, and I was reading. And, you know, at that age, I was reading Dick Jane and Spot. Like, whatever they gave me in school was what I read. But I would read anything, wrestling magazine. But I just love to read and I love to escape. And I love to have my mind go in wherever mm. it could go. And then one day, I bumped into Malcolm X. And... I haven't been the same since. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, everyone. I am so excited. The Black Effect is live. This April 27th, the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival is headed to Atlanta's very own Pullman Yards. Last year was incredible, and this year will be even more thrilling, especially with Nissan coming back along for the ride. Nissan is returning with some empowering activations to support Black excellence in the STEAM fields. Have a podcast idea you've been eager to share with the culture? Well, Nissan is back with a Pitch Your Podcast Lounge. You'll have the chance to record your podcast idea and have it shared with a Black Effect podcast network team. But that's not all. Nissan is taking the stage to spotlight some of the HBCU scholars from their own Thrill of Possibility Summit, Nissan's action-packed weekend of community building, mentorship, and professional development for HBCU scholars pursuing professions in STEAM. The Black Effect Podcast Festival is the event to be at. You won't want to miss this because no matter where life takes you, Nissan will dial up the thrill of your adventures. Visit blackeffect.com forward slash podcast festival for more details. I read the autobiography of Malcolm X and it taught me that I was changeable. Right. I mean, the, the beautiful story of Malcolm is the conversions. Right. I'm not, I'm not even talking about religious conversions. I'm talking about going from somebody named Malcolm who 
you know, was running the streets to Detroit Red, who was who was exploiting the community and, and doing harm to somebody who was called Satan in prison, to somebody who found God and transformed his world, to somebody who went and healed the world for so many other people. And he kept changing and growing and being humble about his changes. Yeah. And, and the thing that made Malcolm change first was the book. He kept reading. So I was like, books can change my life. Books can make me somebody else. And I can use a book to, to help change somebody else's life, whatever that That's book good. might be. You know, and then the, the other part of it for me was I was like, the world won't change unless I do something. The biggest problem in the world today is too many people that don't do anything. And I was like, we got to actually do something. Our children are dying. You know, elections are being taken from us. Our rights are being stripped away. And so many of us were caught up in the day to day of just trying to survive that we don't have time to fight back in the ways that we might need to. Yes. And, and so as a teenager, I was like, oh, wait, I can fight back. Too. I can read and fight back. So I went down to uh, West Philadelphia, this organization in West Philly, and they were they were fighting against police brutality in the city. And it was this little girl and Kim, she's about a year older, year young. I can't remember, but I had a little crush on her. So she was at the sign up table. So I was like, I'm signing up. Whatever that is, that's what I'm joining. Right. So I joined. I joined. The power of woman. Oh, my God. Always, always. <laughs> and when I joined they started organizing and inviting speakers out and, and giving out, you know, back then we would actually print, draw the flyers, go to photocopy them, hand them out on the street, wasn't no social media. And so I became part of a movement. And over time, I realized that joining a movement, being a part of something, joining something, I want to say that again, joining something is so important. I say that because, you know, we live in the age of the selfie where everybody's a star of their own show. Everybody's going live. Everybody's got this, everybody's got that. And so people want to be in charge of something and they want to be the face of something. But a lot of people don't know what it's like to be part of community mm. and to join, you know, like I could be on the choir and not have the lead. That's okay. <laughs> you know what that's I'm saying? And, and so that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I learned to do. And so ever since then, I just haven't stopped. You know, it's, it's taken different forms, but at the end of the day, like I'm, every single day I'm out here trying to lead a world better than I found mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was wondering, oh my gosh, you're so versed in everything. Is there anything where you're like, man, I, I could learn a little bit more in this area? Oh, it's everything. Man, I feel like I don't know enough about a whole okay. lot of stuff. I think we tend to play to our strengths. So, you know, when I'm in media, I talk about the stuff that I know a lot about, but I'm always behind that is me trying to read. You know, I, one thing I will say is I love to learn about all kinds of stuff. So, you know, music, for example. You know, I might be like reading the history of jazz right now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I won't I don't like to read one book. I like to read like 30 of them on a topic. So I might spend a year doing this thing. You know what I mean? So that I feel like I know it well enough, not even to talk about it in public, but just to get some joy from it. The journey is, is the joy for me, like actually studying and learning is good for me. Are you a e-booker or you actually have to have the book in your hand? So I do both. You know, I, I couldn't own no bookstore and tell people I don't <laughs> tell people I, I'd only do Kindle because then I'd be out of business. But I do. I buy both. Good. I, I sincerely I buy both. Like I like to hold up a physical book. I like to touch it. Like when you hold your own book for the first time. Right. Yeah. It's just something about that field is different. And I like to read it. I like to write in it. But I, I travel a lot. And so if I'm in a car or I'm on a plane, I can't bring 30 books with me if I'm on a road for a few weeks. But on, if I, with my phone, I can bring all those books. And like I said, I go through them and I like to read different types of books at the same time. Yeah. So I like to read like a biography of somebody famous. I like to read a history book. And then I like to read something on whatever I'm studying at the time. Got and it. And I just go back and forth among all of them. I'm so guilty. I have many iBooks and mm. many have gone unfinished. 
but I, the past couple weeks, I have put books in my purse. So it's, it'll be a book like this, like three of these in my purse, yep. heavy, because I feel like I've got to have the page turner in my hand. Right. I want to go back to y'all's amazing book, Seen and Unseen. You and Todd Brewster, who is another New York Times bestselling author. How was it to collab with somebody this time on a book? It's different. You know, I used to think about writing and sitting at my desk or sitting in a room or wherever and just writing until it's done because I have a particular process. But when you work with somebody... Overall, it was a great experience. I love every minute of it. I would write 50 books with Todd. He's just, mm -hmm. he's just a great person mm -hmm. to work with. But it's a different process because it's not just your idea. It's like, okay, I got an idea. He got an idea. And I want to do all my ideas. I want all five chapters to be my idea. But then when you work with somebody, it's like, oh, wait, his idea is actually better. Oh, wait, that sounds better. Oh, wait, I, oh, these wow. sentences, you know, and so the back and forth of trading ideas and even trading writing where I write something and he edits it. Yeah. I write, he writes something and I edit it. It, it. it made us better writers. I learned how to write, not in somebody else's voice, but how to write thinking about somebody else's voice because mm -hmm. we got to make it all fit mm -hmm. and, and be cohesive. It was kind of dope, man. And, and Todd and I are very different. He's, he's older than me. He's a white man, you know, and it's like, okay, you got a perspective on race that I never even thought of. You saying some stuff that I never considered and I know I'm doing the same for him. So I actually grew as a person writing this book too. Very interesting. And I definitely wanted to get to that too when you're saying Todd Brewster is a white man and here you are writing, y'all are both writing a book about an issue that just only seems to affect people of color. The amazing thing about the book Seen and Unseen that it also takes inspiration in part from the writings of James Baldwin. Yeah. James Baldwin wrote that our visible reality hides a deeper one. And that in the end, all our action and achievement rests on things unseen. Y'all, the way Mark is closing his eyes is like he is savoring on a spoon of my macaroni and cheese. It is so good to him. <laughs> y'all, y'all won't be able to see this, but he's just like, mm, that means something to you. What I just said, what does that mean to you? You know, it, it means we, we got to end this age of innocence. We have to mature. We have to be honest. What Baldwin forces us to do at every moment of his life was force us to come to terms with things that we don't want to come to terms with, to look at truths that we would rather turn away from, and to understand that to really fix this thing, this thing called America, or this thing called democracy, or this thing called mm. justice, we got to look not just at the things we see, but we got to locate those things that lay beneath the surface, those things that go unsaid and those things that go unseen. And it speaks to my heart because Baldwin speaks to my heart. You know, every time I read Baldwin, one, I'm intimidated as a writer, mm. but I'm also challenged as a thinker. And that for me is a gift. Wow, that's so good. We see in our history books, either photography or a sketch of someone being lynched, something else in slavery. Do you feel like maybe footage has always been there? What are your thoughts on that? That's the right question. You're asking the perfect question. Y'all, he told me I'm asking the right question. I feel <laughs> like an achiever. Think about technology. You know, when we say technology, we tend to think about it as like the newest gadgets, right? Mm. Like your phone or your headphones, that's technology. But technology is always emerging. There was a time where a book was technology. There was time where a jar was 
technology. These are all technology. Mm. And there was a moment where even the ability to sketch what we see, to draw what we see, to have a representation of something that lives beyond the moment that I see it was technology. Um, And what Black people have done in particular in this country is at every moment where we've been oppressed, we've resisted. And part of how Black people resist is to tell our own stories. Yeah. So when they said Black folk were this, we said, no, 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 we're that. When they said slavery was only this, we said, no, 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 read these narratives. Mm. It's, It's actually that. Right. And we were able to tell our own story. And one of the things that helped us tell the story was technology of the photograph, because now we could represent ourselves. We could show what was happening. We could get people to appreciate both our physical dimensions, but also like our, our material reality, the things that are around us. Frederick Douglass is actually the most photographed American of the century. Most people don't know that. Oh, really? And, right. Yeah. And it was fascinating. Partly it was because. He was this freed slave who uh, people were fascinated by. White people wanted to know who he was, how he spoke that way. They they loved his stories about slavery. They didn't want to talk about justice. They wanted to really talk about like how brutal it was, but they wanted to hear it and they wanted to look at him. And he was the first person to be welcomed to the White House by by a racist president at the time. And so there were all these things that made him fascinating. And the photograph was part of his representation of himself so he could tell his own story. But when you get to the, you know, later, you know, fast forward, when you got Ida B. Wells with the lynching, as you pointed out, which I think is so important, the lynching was something that people couldn't really appreciate the brutality of. Mm. But the photograph helped. America's first pastime was really the lynching. People would go and watch Black people be lynched and they would take pictures. They would take their bodies as souvenirs, body parts as souvenirs. These are white folk, of course, and, and they would have photographs. It was almost like a going to a game or a sporting event. It was so brutal, but so commonly passed around that you could almost think it reinforced the idea that black people weren't human beings because you couldn't possibly do this to a human. How could you do this to a human? And, and then, you know, black folk were using the photographs also to show to the people that did care. Look at what they're doing to our bodies. Look at what they're mm. doing. To our babies. And that's the same thing Martin Luther King did. If you think about the movie Selma or the story of the bridge. Dr. King knew they'd get beaten on the Pettus Bridge. He knew what was going to happen. He was dramatizing the violence, creating a spectacle around it so that when they saw it, it's like, you ain't going to beat us in the dark. You're not going to beat us in the backwoods of Alabama and Georgia. No, you're going to beat us on live Mm. national TV so that the world responds to it. So Dr. King used the technology. He was a brilliant political strategist, right? But if you could see it, and once people saw it, they again, it ends the age of innocence. You could see it and say, I don't care, but you got to say it out loud. You have to tell me you don't care that they whooping my behind. You got to tell me that, because if you don't tell me that, then you have to do something about it. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. 
Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yo, I'm hype. The Black Effect is live. This April 27th, the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival is headed down to Atlanta's very own Pullman Yards. Last year was incredible, and this year will be even more thrilling, especially with Nissan coming back along for the ride. Nissan is returning with some empowering activations to support black excellence in the STEAM fields. Have a podcast idea you've been eager to share with the culture? Well, Nissan is back with the Pitch Your Podcast Lounge. You'll have the chance to record your podcast idea and share it with the Black Effect Podcast Network team. But that's not all. Nissan is taking the stage to spotlight some of the HBCU scholars from their own Thrill of Possibility Summit. Nissan's action-packed weekend of community building, mentorship, and professional development for HBCU scholars pursuing professions in STEAM. The Black Effect Podcast Festival is the event to be at. You will not want to miss this. Because no matter where life takes you, Nissan will dial up the thrill in your adventures. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details. I wrote the word desensitized down Mm. because you were saying how back in the day, pictures were done, sketching was done, or people would take a body part as a trophy of something that happened to another, to a black person. Like you said, white people, of course, did this. The same way I feel we're being desensitized today yeah. It had to have been taking place in that time of Frederick Douglass, W.E.B. Du Bois, and Ida B. Wells. People being yep. desensitized to things going on. Like with what happened in Grand Rapids, I'm like, I'm outraged, but there's not a big enough outrage. Right. And I'm just wondering, is there concern that because we can just film something as easy and store it in our phone, we'll post it on Facebook, and then it's like, oh. It's just another one. That's the flip side of having the access is that it becomes normalized to us. When we hear famine in Africa, there are a lot of people who go, that's that's just what happens there. If I say a bomb went off in Lebanon, people go, oh, that stuff blows up. If I say there was, you know, 10 black youth died in Chicago, people go, oh, yeah, that's what happens there. Because we're so desensitized to these awful things. These things are awful everywhere. Awful, right? Yes, Awful, right? But if you if you hear about awful stuff all the time, you can become desensitized to it and it's hard to muster the outrage. And, and so the only time we get the outrage is when we get a sense of this shouldn't happen here. So when we see a missing white woman on TV, the world stops, yeah. right? Because it's like, we're not used to seeing that on TV. We're not used to hearing yeah. about those stories. And so we're still, like, oh my God, let's do something as we should. But the key, I think, is to figure out how we can hold space for that same sense when the 10th person dies in Chicago or the fifth bomb goes off in Libya or whatever the yes. thing might be, we have to still find a way to care because all of these lives are worth something. That's so good. I think for the first time in a long time, I know how even your book even talks about how George Floyd's death became a catalyst for social justice and criminal justice reform. Oh. It was for one of the first times where I felt like maybe because we were all at home and it was a pandemic, but there was a sense of disdain from everybody. Of course, you had the people, well, if he would have just complied, if he hadn't have resisted. But it definitely seemed like there was a collective outcry. People were marching in different countries for this man. Yep. And so I am just excited about seen and unseen. Last question about critical race theory. Do you think it can be taught? Should it be taught? What do you think? I think the first thing is we got to be clear about what it is and what it isn't, because what the right has done is they've taken any conversation about race 
any conversation about justice, any conversation about racism, any conversation about difference in history. And they say it's critical race theory. They've effectively made it so that critical race theory is the boogeyman. So it makes it easy to attack because they've already taken the most extreme cases and they've lumped it under critical race theory. Mm, Critical race theory is something that was taught in law school. Critical race theory is something that's really about the American legal system and, and how race is baked into it. And there are elements of it that have gone in other directions. But at the core, for me, it's not about teaching critical race theory or not teaching it. Okay. It's about saying, how can we be honest in our educational system about race and how early should we do that? Right. If I could have said, ta-da. <laughs> right. Because that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. And the problem is too often in this country, we think that to talk about race is an act of racism. Right. So. People say, oh, my God, just mentioning race means we're doing something racist. And it's like, nah, if we don't mention like like I grew up, like I said, reading those those uh, books in first grade. I learned how to read by reading like Dick Jane and Spot books. Right. You know, a lot of us did. Right. A lot of my history books only had white people in it. Mm -hmm. A lot of the story books only had white people in it. There was no talk of race, but everybody was white. So it normalized the idea that to be successful, to be a human being, to matter in history, to matter on the news, to matter as a news anchor, to matter as a model, whatever the thing is in my world, we didn't have to talk about race. Everything was white. And so the moment we say, well, wait a minute, everybody's not white. And white people have a race, too, that we need to talk about. Once we start talking about that, they say, oh, whoa, whoa, no race, no race, no race talk. They were fine with not talking about race because whiteness didn't have to get talked about. It was the norm. But now that we're saying, well, maybe we should have multiple norms. Being a white news anchor should be fine, but so should being a black one. Being a white model is okay, but so should being a black one, et cetera, et cetera. Once we started that conversation, like, oh, that's too much. No, it's too much. The kids can't handle it. Got it. Yep. The kids can handle it. The kids kids can can handle handle it. it. And a lot of, a lot probably want to. You said something that struck me when you said talking about race is not racism. And so I am excited about seen and unseen. Yes. Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. The last question is, what is the goal of seen and unseen? And mm. I know we can get it everywhere. Books are sold, by the way, everybody. Absolutely. You get the book everywhere. You buy your books. I personally want the goal of this book I want people who are nerds to nerd out on the history. I want people who just love to know stuff to do that. That's cool. But at the end of the day, I write books really hoping that it will empower people to do something. Once they turn that last page, that they will want to go and do something in the world, whether it's through their mentoring, through how they vote, through how they teach, through activism, through the art that they create, whatever the thing is, I want them to do something to leave this world just a little bit better than they found it. And if we do that, then my work has been worth it. Yes, absolutely. And I know that you are inspiring other teenagers to do what you do to another little black boy that wants to be like you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited that my friend Mark Lamont Hill decided to check in with us today. Take care and we'll see each other soon at the Macaroni and Cheese Festival at Uncle Bobby's. (laughs) For sure. Coffee and books. All right, friend. Man, I love when interviews can just really flow like a conversation. And did y'all like how I slid in that macaroni and cheese situation? Because I'm offended. I cannot believe that he takes time on Twitter. He defends so many other situations going on. He talks about every injustice. But to me, 
The other injustice that we had to discuss was the fact that he does not like macaroni and cheese. I am highly offended. I'm highly offended, but it's okay. I'm not going to try to force something on somebody if they know for a fact that it's something that they don't like. But I loved our conversation on even how he got his start as a teen. He was a teen activist being on the front lines in his community for a number of years. And the fact that he owns this awesome bookstore named after his Uncle Bobby. I'm not going to hold y'all long because I just want us to sit in a lot of gems that he gave us today and to encourage people to get out there. And I'm going to talk about things more. I loved how he talked about when he said talking about race is not racism. A lot of us are scared to even talk about things on our platforms because it seems like people will accuse you of race baiting or you're racist. And it's like, no, um, talking about race is not racism. So I'm fired up and I hope you guys are too. And don't forget his new book is called Seen and Unseen, authored by him and Todd Brewster. It is on sale as we speak. So y'all go ahead and thank y'all for also chiming in on my social media platforms to let me know how you're feeling about certain episodes and what your takeaways have been. All right. Again, thank you for checking in and know that you are loved. Checking in with Michelle Williams is a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.